everybody. My name is Dana Trupiana, and today I am interrupting your regularly scheduled programming, and we're going to go over something that's extremely near and dear to my heart today. Since the day I started this channel, I've told you guys that the real reason that I made this channel and tried to build up an audience was to get the story out about my best friend who was murdered. I needed to build up my own audience because, regardless of how much I tried, no one else in the world seemed to care. I spent years and years reaching out to news stations, content creators, literally anybody who would listen, and being completely ignored. Once or twice, I got people to listen, but even those times, the people had such small audiences that the video that I did with them, it never really went anywhere. Well, not too long ago, I put up a post on Reddit about my best friend being murdered and nobody going to jail for it, nobody caring about it, the works. I told them everything. The post got a lot of attention, and one content creator in particular, Maverick, picked the story up. He made a video where he read the Reddit post off, and there was so many people in the comments offering support, condolences, it was amazing. And because Maverick shared my GoFundMe and added a lot of money to it himself, so many people went and they added money to it as well as a result of his video. Well, he put up a video this past Tuesday about the crime, and he's such an amazing human being to do that, but we both agreed that it might be a good idea for me to put out my own video because Maverick's doing a true crime video about the actual crime of Billy being murdered. But here's the thing. Number one, Billy Donahue was such an amazing person and so much bigger than just the crime that took his life. Number two, Billy Donahue was, by far, not the only person that was affected by his death. I wanted to put a video out there about everything. The crime, the person that Billy was, what led up to it, and what came after it. If you haven't seen Maverick's video, you should definitely go do that, but... Even if you think you know the story about what I'm going to talk about today, it's definitely still worth listening because I guarantee you there's only about two people on earth that know all the information that I'm about to tell you guys. I think it's very possible that I could end up in a courtroom because of today's episode because I'm going to be giving away everything. I'm going to be talking about people's names. I'm going to be putting pictures up. I don't care. I'm sick of the police telling me that my best friend doesn't deserve justice, and if they won't give it to me, I'll get it here. So let's go ahead and get started. So first, let's talk about Billy as a person. William Billy Donahue was born on May 23rd, 1985, to Jeannie Kovitz Donahue and John Donahue, at Stony Brook Hospital in Stony Brook, New York. As a baby, he was awesome. He rarely cried, and he was always happy. He was just a really enjoyable baby overall. His teddy bear, Snuggles, yes, the one from the commercial, was his best friend, and his mom still has that bear to this day. He had a cat named Spooky, and when he was a baby, Spooky ended up saving his life. When he was still an infant, they had a really scary experience. He randomly stopped breathing overnight. His mom never would have found out if the cat didn't freak the hell out and go get her and force her to follow him. His mom followed Spooky into Billy's room and found him lying there purple. Even the doctors at Stony Brook couldn't figure out why he randomly stopped breathing that night, but everybody agreed that had Spooky not woken his mom up, it's very likely that he would have died of SIDS. The family bounced around a lot from New York to Virginia, and once they got back to New York, they bounced around a few towns in New York until Billy started going to school and they settled in Ronkonkoma, New York. As a kid, he loved wrestling, Power Rangers, Ninja Turtles, and monster trucks. So like a very typical kid. He really loved playing sports. He was on a street hockey team, he played basketball, and he played soccer. He had a bowl cut for his entire childhood, and I personally got to abuse the shit out of him over that. His favorite artist was, by far, Eminem. That boy literally lived on Eminem. Every time a new album would come out, he would burn the CD and listen to nothing but that CD for months. 
He had two older sisters, Carrie and Denise Loyekino, and later he would get a younger brother, Stephen. Out of the four children, though, Billy was definitely the golden child. His mom says that Billy loved her more than her other three children combined. They had a really, really close, special relationship. He grew up with a single mother, and he was just fine with that. He was a very big mama's boy. He had an extremely close relationship with his mom. And whenever anybody asked him if he felt like he was missing out on not having a dad around, he always said that he didn't feel like he was missing anything because his mother perfectly fit the role of both mother and father for him. Hi, my name is Jeannie Donahue. I am Billy Donahue's mom. I've never made a video before, so this is all new to me. Plus, I do have a little bit of laryngitis, so I sound a little strange. I just came on here to talk a little bit about my son. He was the most incredible person on the planet, honestly. And I'm not just saying that because I'm his mom. His father left New York and went to Florida when Billy was pretty young, so he wasn't really in his life until about a year or two before he passed away. They had recently reconnected and gone to lunch a few times, but before that, he wasn't really in his life. As an adult, Billy was really into sports. He didn't really play anything, but oh my god, I have never met another human being that was so into watching sports. Any sport. He played fantasy football, basketball, baseball, hockey. He wasn't really into soccer, but I do know football and hockey were the number one sports that he was into. He also loved professional wrestling. He was super into Monday Night Raw, and he would get any wrestling pay-per-view and have parties with his friends to watch them. UFC was another big one with the friends. Any kind of sport, Billy was there for it, and he had a really tight-knit group of a bunch of guys that were all the same way. His favorite hockey team was the Red Wings, and I'm fairly certain his favorite football team was the Denver Broncos, and baseball was the Braves. He was one of those sports fans whose favorite teams changed with the players. I don't really like sports, so I like the Giants and the Yankees just because they're New York teams, but he had favorite players, and when his favorite players switched teams, so did his allegiances and who he rooted for. Another thing he really enjoyed was spending time with his family. Kerry, his sister, had two daughters, Felicia and Carissa, and he loved those two little girls so much. At one point, Kerry and Felicia moved into his house with him, and being able to spend time with Felicia whenever he wanted to made him really happy. One huge thing that made Billy who he was was his love for animals. Animals were the most important thing in the world to him. His mom was a vet tech, and I think that may have played a role in his obsession with dogs. His mom had two dogs, Jasmine and Tiffany. Jasmine was a bigger dog, and she had all the energy in the world. Tiffany was one of those little yappy dogs, and as much as I really have always hated little yappy dogs, Tiffany was really chill. She was really cool. She didn't really bark that much, and even though she was a grumpy old lady, she was fully down for cuddle sessions and hanging out all day, so she was cool. Billy and I got a six-week-old baby black lab together from North Shore Animal League. We named her Chloe. About a year later, Billy welcomed Julie, a blonde Akita mix, into our family. Those two dogs were Billy's entire life. They were his children. We brought them for photos with Santa. They went to whoever's house wasn't working. Our lives revolved around these dogs. Billy had lived with his mom for a really long time. He always had a really hard time with money, so moving out on his own was not really happening. And he helped out financially at his house, so it was mutually beneficial. It wasn't really an issue for him, even when he became an adult. He was really close to his mom, and his mom was awesome. So it's not like he was eager to move out or anything, and he had his own little space downstairs, so he was cool. Billy's sister Denise passed away on Valentine's Day in 2012 at 34 years old. It was a really, really hard time for the entire family. His mom took the loss really hard, and Billy didn't really know how to help her. Nobody did, but 
nobody could. Losing a child is a pain that probably nobody but somebody that's gone through it could ever describe, and she was having a really hard time with it. Denise passed away on Valentine's Day from a drug overdose. Although she had spent the weeks before her passing showing positive signs, she was talking a lot more positively, she was looking a lot more healthy, but her inner demons got the best of her. I remember a lot of conversations with Denise where she would tell me that she didn't belong in this world, that she was born in the wrong place and couldn't explain it. Now, in 2023, I like to think that she was a starseed and somehow found her way home. After Denise passed away, Billy's mom moved to Pennsylvania to try to heal a little bit. Billy didn't want to move to Pennsylvania, so he agreed to pay all the bills in the house in Ronkonkoma so that he could stay living in the house and keep the house. But here, we come right back around to the issue of Billy being chronically broke. He couldn't afford to pay all the bills in the house for very long, and before long, he moved into my parents' house with me around June or July of 2013. Okay, so let's stop here real quick and let me explain to you guys my relationship with Billy, because I'm sure you guys are a little bit confused. We started dating on November 6th, 2008. We had been seeing each other for a long time before that. I was 18 years old when we started dating, and it showed. Billy was five years older than me, but that boy was an old man probably since the day he was born. And I was in my crazy phase of life. I wanted to party and go wild, and he was a lot more laid back and wanted to hang around the house and watch movies, and that clashed pretty severely. But we made it work. Now, remember, I was 18 years old, I was an infant, and those were the days of putting legitimately everything, and I do mean everything, on social media. I mean, oh yeah, I just went and got gas in my car, and then I bought a soda, it was so good, level of sharing. I guess that's still the case now, but like, in the days of MySpace, when you couldn't really do anything other than put updates on exactly what you're doing minute to minute, it was a lot more just explaining every mundane thing that you did or thought. I shared a lot of stuff on Facebook, and whenever we would fight, I would go to Facebook, and I'd be like, oh, I hate my boyfriend, I'm single, like, all that kind of mess that a teenager does when they're a teenager. Even though I was doing that, we still figured it out and we made it work. We stayed together exclusively for five years. Nearing the end of 2013, my relationship with Billy started to fall apart. Living together was definitely the death of us. We argued constantly and Billy had his own room in the house. And him having his own room in the same house as me, he spent all his time there which means I kind of barely saw him. I always told Billy that we were amazing as friends, but we were never meant to be in a relationship. In November of 2013, Billy moved out of my house and moved to Stony Brook in New York, where he rented a room from Joe, a man that he had worked for before and become friends with. We stopped talking for about a month to recover from our relationship because at the end of the day, we had been together for five or six years and it hurt for that relationship to end. Around Christmas of 2013, we started talking again and we started sharing custody of the dogs. Billy started working at McCabs and he was working overnight. So he would drop the dogs off with me while he worked and then I would bring them to him when I went to school during the day. We each started seeing other people, and we got along great with each other's other person. It seemed like it was working out perfectly. We would watch UFC fights together, we went out to celebrate St. Patrick's Day together, and we hung out for hours whenever we did the drop-off for the dogs. Now, don't get me wrong, this was not all sunshine and roses. First of all, I would get dogged if I ever talked about this to anybody else. My boyfriend at the time, now husband, Kenny, he got along great with Billy. And a lot of the time when I spent hours hanging out with Billy, Kenny was there as well. And sometimes Billy's girlfriend was there too. It worked out perfectly for us. But if I ever mentioned it to anybody else, they would mock the crap out of me. 
We all took the dogs to get Christmas pictures with Santa in 2013. Billy had his girlfriend. It was me and Kenny. And I have a picture somewhere with all of us in one picture with the dogs. I can't locate that picture to save my life, but one day, 10 years from now, it'll pop up. Me and Kenny got an apartment on Wall Street, and that meant seeing Billy a little less, and we didn't do the daily drop-offs, and my mom picked up the slack, and she started doing the drop-offs with Billy. During this time, Billy started to see an old flame named Katie. She was the girl that Billy had sporadically dated six years before, and they started seeing each other again. It seemed like their relationship was going really well, but one day Billy called me and said he wasn't going to see her anymore. One really cool thing about our relationship was that even though we had dated for such a long time, now that we were only friends, we could go to each other and talk about each other's relationships. I was really surprised to hear that his relationship with Katie was coming to an end, and I even tried to talk him into continuing to make an effort and make that relationship work. That's when he dropped the bomb on me. Katie was seeing someone else, his landlord. That broke Billy's heart. Honestly, Katie had been a point of contention throughout our entire relationship. I always felt like he had lingering feelings for her, so it wasn't really too surprising that after we broke up, he went back to her. She seemed to really make him happy, so I was happy that they were becoming an item again. So when Billy found out what was going on behind his back, and that she was sleeping with his landlord, who was also his friend, all hell broke loose. They ended up breaking up, and Billy started looking for a new apartment, since it was his landlord that Katie was sleeping with. I know he never ended up moving, but I'm pretty sure that's just because this happened pretty close to the time that he died. Katie didn't end up going to the funeral. I was just fine with that. I hated her. But Billy's mom was really upset that she didn't come. So I got double mad at her because this was for his mother. So if she wanted her there, she should have been there. Billy had previously worked for a cab company at the Ronkonkoma train station. He stayed there for a while, but he ended up leaving for a few different reasons. He took a break from working for a while while he was living with me because he was getting student loans that were covering all of his expenses and he really didn't need to work. Pretty shortly after moving out of my house, Billy started working at McCabs for the man that owned it, Blair Rocio. It was a cab company in Bohemia, New York. Billy got really close with Blair, and Blair would say that Billy was like a son to him. It was a pretty good job. It paid decently, and he was able to pay his bills. He was still super broke because it didn't pay a lot. It just paid enough that he could live. It was a pretty new company when he started, which was really cool because Billy was allowed to get jobs for some of his friends, and that is just what he did. I mentioned earlier that Billy grew up with a really tight group of friends, and that was definitely the case. There was like 10 or 12 of them that hung out all the time. Shortly after starting his job at this company, Billy got his friend Dan hired, and a little while after that, he got another friend, Mike Lemp, a job. When all was said and done, Billy worked at McCabs for about two years from the time he started until the time the company closed down. About a year into working there, Blair had come to Billy with a proposition. He needed somebody to do some bookkeeping for him, and it came with a much higher salary. He made very little money working as a cab driver slash dispatch operator, and Blair knew that Billy lived very paycheck to paycheck. This opportunity was huge for Billy. And he even came to me asking about accounting books that I had laying around so that he could learn as much about bookkeeping as possible. So he was taking this really seriously. I gave him a few books and told him he could call me with any questions or whatever. But he started reading them and he got pretty far into the textbooks. He started studying and getting to know everything and anything about a P&L, a balance sheet, all of that good stuff. He knew how to do it just from going through these textbooks. In the following months that Billy spent studying, there was never another mention of this bookkeeping job or the raise that came with it. He continued working as a driver and a dispatcher, muddling through life on a paycheck-to-paycheck basis. He borrowed when he could, and he took any odd job that came his way. After a good six months of learning and waiting, Billy went to Blair about this new position that he was supposed to start. Blair told him that he wasn't looking for this position to be filled anymore. Losing that prospect hurt Billy a lot. This was his one chance to earn a salary that would allow him to live a better life. 
and he felt like it had been ripped out from under him. Blair did have another offer to help him get towards that salary increase, though. See, Blair had many sources of income. He had this cab company, and another source of income that he had. I am going to stop right here and make it very well known that nobody has been arrested or charged with any crimes. Nobody has done any time. So anything that I say from here on out is my opinion from my experience. Everybody is innocent until proven guilty, and I'm just telling you guys what I know from what I went through and what I saw. If you choose not to believe that, it is perfectly fine. I totally understand. I'm not making any sort of accusations. This is all just from my point of view. See, Blair had many, many sources of income, allegedly. He had this cab company, and another source of income that he had was a huge Coke operation, allegedly. What a cliche, right? Cab company owner slash drug dealer? Well, the two paths haven't ever crossed before. But Blair had recently gotten into some serious criminal charges. Once again, allegedly. Now, this information is not verified. I know what I was told and what was on the internet back then, but that was back in 2015 and nine phones ago, so I do not have this information anymore, and if you go looking for it, you won't find it. It legit does not exist, but it did exist in 2015. Charges tend to go away when you cooperate with people. So because I can't prove any of this, you can choose whether to believe me or not on the following part of this story, but these were the facts as I knew them at the time. So Blair goes to Billy and he tells him, listen, I know that I promised you this bookkeeping job and that you were counting on it and learning shit for the last six months. Sorry about that, but I still have a way for you to make a decent amount of money on the side. I'm running Coke and I can't really have my hands all the way in it anymore. So if you run it for me, I'll pay you. Now, Billy, having never gotten into anything illegal in his life, was like, oh, hell no, you are out of your mind. Absolutely not. Could Blair have had another employee at the cab company do it? Maybe. But Billy was pretty much running that place. He was there more nights than he wasn't. He was always the one in the office. He was always the one on call. He was the person that people called when things went wrong. So it just made sense that Billy would be the one that would be approached about this. So Billy is like, no, you're insane. Pass. So Blair comes to him the next day and he's like, all right, listen, new proposal. What if I prepare it for you and I have it in marked baggies? I collect the money and all of that is done. You don't even have to collect the money from these people. I'll get it. I can take care of the packaging. I'll do everything. All you have to do is hand these baggies to the people that show up. Blair sold this to Billy as a dream. Barely any work, next to no risk, and he wouldn't even technically be a dealer because he wasn't collecting payment. Just handing off whatever was already pre-packaged. And he would make so much money doing it that it would be fully worth the risk. Billy, against his better judgment and months behind on his car payments, decided to tentatively move forward. I never had a conversation with Blair about why he was doing this, but I can only assume that he was having Billy run for him because he had these charges pending against him and he didn't want to put himself in the dangerous position of getting arrested again for possession. Now, let me be very clear here. This was a side thing. The customers came to the office sometimes, but this in no way, shape, or form impeded from the cab company continuing to be a cab company. Billy was still a dispatcher for cabs. He was still going out, giving rides. The company was 100% still functioning as it always had. From the outside, it wouldn't look like absolutely anything was off. The first few weeks of this little setup went fine and was going fully according to plan. Billy started off very slow, and only a small amount of people would come by the office. He would run out the front, give them the prepackaged baggie that had already been waiting in the office before he got there, go back inside, and that was that. He wasn't handling any money. He wasn't even really conversing with these people. 
Blair would communicate with him when the people pulled up and let him know what kind of car they were driving. He would hand it off, bing, bang, boom, no biggie, and Billy started to make a decent amount of money, and it really helped him to get a little breathing room financially. On October 31st, 2015, Billy texted me to ask if I was okay. I said, yeah, why? He said, someone got arrested leaving my house last night before you came, just making sure. I'm going to put the text messages up word for word, but I'm going to read them off. Me. Holy shit. What? Someone that was at your house? Him. Yeah, right after they left. Me. Holy shit. Are you still doing the white? Him. I'm being watched. Finished. Me. Holy moly. That's not good. It's the white they're watching, right? Him. That's what the dude had on him. And the girl he was with said they got it from here. Me. They told the cop they got it from you? They ratted you out? I'm not texting about this shit anymore. Call me when you can. Him. Phone is gonna die. Nothing to talk about. He told me what happened and I appreciate that at least. Done for good. Me. Yeah, that's a good idea. Was never a good thing to get involved with in the first place. It's fucked up that he or the girl ratted you out, but get out for 100% right now. Me. How bad is this? Is this the first time someone's gotten arrested or ratted on you? It happened right outside your house? You know how bad that is, right? If it were right outside your house, they don't care that you know they're onto you. Him. Yes, they do, because they told him not to say anything. Me. How close to your house was it? Him. Taking dogs to your mom's and don't have a tail. I'll be okay because I'm finished. So much better it happened this way. Me. Okay. I really hope it's not too late. Good luck. Let me know if anything happens. Delete all text messages in your phone. Like, every single one of them. Him. I know. After these text messages, Billy would only talk on the phone and stopped texting, so this is the last of the text messages that I have with him. It's been so many years that I really can't remember 100% exactly what day it was, but it was either the night or the night before he was killed that I went to his office. See, I was living in Manhattan, so I didn't see him on a regular basis anymore. So it was either November 1st or November 2nd. I let him know that I was on Long Island and he asked me to stop by. I was like, Meh, I'm sick. I don't feel good. I still have a two hour drive ahead of me, but okay, I'll stop by. So I go to his office. He gives me the code to get in and me and Kenny go into the office. He tells me about this video game and hands me a controller, and for the next, I would say, two or three hours, I sat there playing this video game while we were all bullshitting. Billy was telling me about everything that had happened. His short stint in dealing, the guy that ratted him out, and how he was 100% totally and completely done because he had been ratted out. This is important. Blair knew that Billy was ratted out. Billy told me himself that he told Blair, so there's no question at all whether Blair knew or not. He knew. On the night of November 2nd, Billy was still freaking out about the kid that had ratted him out. It had only been two days, and he was terrified that he was going to be locked up any minute. He was in luck, though. One of his best friends was a lawyer, or at least studying to become one at the time, and he took a trip to his house to talk everything out. This friend reassured Billy that he was going to be fine. They couldn't lock him up. All they had was hearsay. They didn't catch him with anything on him. They couldn't prove that he actually dealt or anything. He was going to be fine. Apparently, Billy left the house that night feeling a lot better. He was not supposed to work that night. His friend Dan was the one that was supposed to be working, but Dan called in sick, and Billy had gone to work, so there was somebody working that night. They couldn't just not have somebody there. That, right there, is probably one of the biggest points of contention here. Billy was not supposed to be working that night. It was supposed to be Dan. Around 2.30 a.m., a man who was around 6'2 walked up to the office building. McCabs rented a single office in an office building. So there's probably around 10 or 15 businesses in this office building. When you walk in the front door, you have to enter a six-digit code. Only people who work there would have this code, obviously or somebody that someone who worked there gave it to. This man who had walked up at 2.30 in the morning was wearing a black ski mask and a set of black gloves and was carrying a machete in his hand. He entered the six-digit code with no mistakes. He wasn't looking at a piece of paper or a phone. He knew this six-digit code by heart. 
This man knew exactly how to get into this building. It was pretty clear that he had either worked in this building before or knew somebody that worked there because he had been there before. When you walk in the front door, the building is like an eye, but it's sideways. It's a straight line. The front door was in the very middle of this eye. So it's a rectangle and then the front door is here in the middle. So because the front door is in the very middle, when you walk in the front door, you can either make a right or a left. I would say there's probably about 20 offices in the building. This man walked in the front door, made a right, and walked right to McCab's office. This office was three doors in from the front. He didn't accidentally try any other offices. He didn't accidentally go the wrong way. This masked man knew exactly where he was going. He made a right and went past three doors, the exact path to McCabs, and probably the only person that was in the building that night. According to surveillance, the man walked into the office around 2.30 in the morning. He walked out at around 3.15 in the morning. He was still carrying the knife or machete. That is all we know for sure. I am going to tell you a recap of this from my perspective, because... I'm the only one doing this video. A lot of other people involved in this case have completely different points of view, as well as theories about the who, what, when, where, why, and how of it all. And if they ever want to share those opinions, they are more than welcome to do it. I have begged multiple people to make videos and participate in this, but next to nobody wants to. So because of that, I am going to go over my who, what, when, where, why, and how. So on November 3rd, 2015, I woke up and I walked to work as normal. I get to work and I'm catching up on everything I had to do. And I got a call from Dan's girlfriend. I love that girl. She's one of the sweetest girls you'll ever meet. But honestly, we really didn't talk very much. I think this may have been the first time she ever called me. So it was super weird to me that she was calling me. I answered the phone. And she immediately asks me if I have the dogs. And I'm like, uh, no, I don't know. My mom might have them. Why? At this point, she is hysterical and flipping out and asking about the dogs again. I'm like, I I really don't know. I can call my mom and ask why. What is going on? Honestly, right now in my head, I'm thinking Billy got arrested last night and I'm going to have to go to Long Island to bail him out. It would really suck, but whatever. It's not that big of a deal. It's just a little bit of a headache. She finally gets it together enough to tell me he's dead. So immediately, I'm like, what the hell? Who's dead? She tells me it's Billy. And I'm like, no way. Tell me you're lying. Billy isn't dead. He can't be dead. What the fuck? What? What happened? She won't tell me anything more than the fact that he's dead. And I need to get to Long Island right now. She says she'll tell me more when I get out there. So now it is my sole mission to get to Long Island, but I'm lost in the sauce at this moment and I have no idea what to do. So I get on the elevator, I leave, I'm on my way home. I call my mom and tell her like Billy's dead. She's flipping out and crying. So then when I get off the phone with her, I call the girlfriend back and I tell her that I do know that my mom does have the dogs. And I ask her again how Billy died, but she still won't tell me. I call my boyfriend, I tell him to go get the car, I go back to my apartment. Now, in my experience, when people die, it's usually an overdose. That's legit how everybody I've ever known has died. But Billy never touched any kind of drug, especially the H word. And that's how everyone I know has died. It's legit impossible that he would die this way. He couldn't have overdosed. Maybe he got into a car accident? That's what I'm going with in my head. He must have gotten into a car accident. I just have no idea. In the 20 or so minutes between when I got back to my apartment and when Kenny got to the apartment with the car, my friend who was a lawyer calls me. He asks me if I heard and I said yes. He asks what I heard and I told him that Billy was dead. He tells me that Billy was beaten to death. Now, obviously at this point, I lose my mind all over again overdose, car accident, getting hit by a goddamn train, everything but that had crossed my mind. Not in my wildest dreams would I have thought that he was beaten to death. To this day, that day, 
November 3rd, 2015, is an absolute blur, and I don't remember most of it. That phone call was the last of the clear memory that I have. Billy's mom had called me because she had no idea about anything either. The police in Pennsylvania had gone to her house and informed her that Billy had died, and she was on her way to Long Island, but she had no idea about anything either. So she was with her son-in-law, and her son-in-law called me to ask me what happened. How did he die? Because I was really close with Billy. I knew his mom well, and it just made sense to call me. I tried to get around telling her, but I didn't really have any other choice. I told her what my friend had told me. He was definitely murdered, maybe beat to death. I told her how sorry I was and that if she needed anything to not hesitate before she called me. Now, people had been calling me all day telling me to come to the crime scene. A big group of Billy's friends, as well as a bunch of nosy onlookers, had gathered outside the office building. A mobile homicide squad had set up a whole perimeter. Shit was absolutely crazy there. So I keep getting calls from everybody that's there and telling me to come there. But I couldn't do it. So I did not go to the crime scene. There's a lot of people that did go to the crime scene and they know what happened there. I didn't. The girlfriend had called me and told me that the cops wanted to talk to me and asked if it was okay if she gave them my number. I said yes because I had been wanting to talk to the cops. All day I was watching the news and the news started saying that he was stabbed to death. In my head I'm like okay they just don't know what they're talking about. He wasn't stabbed he was beaten. Like this is coming from people that were at the crime scene they would know. The only news station that was there was the dirty local news, News 12, who is just about the worst journalists ever. They brought a girl onto the news to do an interview, and she basically said that the cab company wasn't a real cab company, that it was really just a front for a drug ring, and that suspicious things were going on there a lot. She said something about... Her and her co-workers had gone and knocked on the door at odd hours to get rides home from the cabs, and nobody was ever there, and nobody believed that it was a cab company. Which makes absolutely no sense, because I can personally attest that there was somebody there 90% of the time. Sometimes they would take calls from home, but 90% of the time, there was somebody in that office. We also learned on the news that night that some unknown man had been standing outside the office about three to four days earlier, screaming that they were going to gut Dan like a fish. He was a very good person with a large heart, would do anything for anyone, Um, someone that should not have disappeared from this earth. We really need more people like him here. Um, He just uh, made some poor decisions and uh, got mixed up with the wrong people or the wrong employer. And um, he's not with us anymore. So it's really hard for me to talk about him without getting upset. So I might have to take a break. He definitely should be here. I don't understand why All of this has happened. I have lost three children now. Um, I lost two daughters and a son, and I have one son left, Billy's younger brother. So, I'm not sure. I guess I will find out one day why this happened. Um, I have some peace knowing that he's with his uh, sisters right now. So, I know they guided him home. Um, I just have a really hard time talking about what happened to him because uh, it was a very violent death, which he did not deserve. Being stabbed to death is very violent, and I can't even think about how badly he must have suffered. I can't let my mind go there. Because when I do, I <clears throat> I start to have some <clears throat> dark thoughts. So that's the hardest part. So cut to that night. 
News has been saying all day that he was stabbed, but I haven't heard anything that verified that. The cops give me a call. They need to come over. They need to talk to me. I guess because as they questioned people at the crime scene, my name kept coming up, especially since everybody at the scene was really scared that my dogs, Billy's dogs, had gotten hurt or taken when he was killed because he would bring the dogs to the office sometimes. So the cops call me. They want to talk. They come over. They come over and they want to meet Kenny. They take one look at Kenny, who is five foot five, and they know that he is not the person on the tapes. They ask me a few questions. Yes, I can verify on video that I was in my apartment all night. I live in an apartment building with cameras and my car was in the lot all night. Yada yada. So then, once they figure I am not a suspect, they break down all the facts that I've been able to get in the time since November 3rd, 2015. The person on video was six foot two. He walked in with a mask, gloves, and machete. He walked in around 2.30 and left around 3.15. Yes, Billy was stabbed to death. No, they can't tell me anything else. Obviously, the first thing out of my mouth was, it was Blair. There is no way it was a coincidence that Billy had gotten ratted out two days earlier for dealing for Blair, and he's dead, and it doesn't have anything to do with Blair. Absolutely no way. Flag on the play. Absolutely not. It was him. Police tell me that there is absolutely, positively no way that it possibly could have anything to do with Blair. Okay. It wasn't him that walked in and did it, but it was because of him, period. Nope. According to police, there is no question in their mind. Absolutely not. Couldn't be Blair. Couldn't have anything to do with Blair. Nope, nope, nope. Now, I will interject here and say that I do believe that I'm completely on my own here in suspicions regarding him. There's a lot, if not most, people that say that they don't think he had anything to do with it. And that's fair. I mean, everybody agrees that overall, he's done some sketchy shit. When Billy's body was removed from the office, Blair tried to steal his PS4 that Billy had there. His mom went to the cops and the cops went to Blair and demanded it back, and so she got it back, but it was in the back of his truck. There was no way he was trying to give that PS4 back. The cops had to threaten him to get it back. Now, as I said before, a group of Billy's friends had gathered there to see what was going on at the crime scene. They were there for hours. The friend that Billy had gone to see the night before, the one that was the lawyer, he went there as well. And when he saw Blair, he started yelling at him and threw his cell phone at him. It didn't hit him or anything, but it did destroy the cell phone, and it was one of those throwaway phones, so that phone was gone. When Blair came to the funeral, he had somewhere between four and six gangsters there with him. Let's say bikers. It's recently been brought up that there's contention there, but I had always said Hell's Angels. Everybody that was at that funeral said that it was Hell's Angels. A lot of people saw those cuts, but let's just say regular old bikers, shall we? Anyway, we all assume that the reason that he showed up with these big bikers was because he had been threatened and had the phone thrown at him at the scene. But it did make us really curious about him. When we googled him, he had multiple drug crimes pending that would end up being Class A felonies, and he had a good likelihood of spending 20 plus years in jail. Like, legit, there was no way in hell that this guy wasn't going away forever. That immediately set off alarm bells in my head. So one of the guys that you have dealing for you gets ratted out, and now you're scared that he's going to get arrested and testify against you and you have to do something about it. And you do. A lot of people had a really, really hard time with Billy's passing. I know, personally, I fell apart just as bad as humanly possible. And Billy had a lot of family and friends that were severely affected by his death. One friend in particular had an extremely hard time dealing with his death. Jimmy, Billy's friend since they were kids, took his death particularly hard. I was pretty good friends with Jimmy, so he called me probably once a week for almost a year after Billy died. Jimmy was a really good kid. He cared so much about Billy, and despite the issues that he had along the lines of like depression and stuff like that, he really was a cool person. 
He was super talented. He drew all these amazing pictures all the time, and he would post them on Facebook. He would draw customized pictures for everybody, and he was one of those people that if you ever needed anything, he was the one that you would call because he would help. He used to say he couldn't live in a world where Billy wasn't there. When he would call me every week, he would break down crying almost every week. He talked about memories with the two and the things that they could have done together if Billy hadn't died. He drew a picture of Billy with wings. He drew a picture of Billy with his mom and spent hours at the office on the one-year anniversary of his death. On December 4th, 2016, so one year, one month, and one day after Billy died, Jimmy couldn't live in a world without Billy any longer and was no longer here with us. Jimmy's funeral was heartbreaking, and it felt like Billy's funeral for the second time. Everybody knew that he did this because of Billy. It was the same people that were there, and everybody talked about the two of them being together now. Jimmy's death felt like Billy's killer had just killed a second one of my friends. Like, Billy's murder had just claimed two lives, not just one. It was at Jimmy's funeral that we found out who Billy's killer was, according to police. According to police, Andreas Sanchez was Billy's killer. He had been the one that was standing outside the office a few days before Billy's murder, saying he was going to gut Dan like a fish. When he left the office after killing Billy, he left the office building and got into a car. Police were sure if they were able to locate that car, they would be able to get this guy found guilty because Billy's blood would be in the car. However, they had searched high and low in the years since the murder, and the car had all but disappeared. Who knows what happened to it? Most likely, he brought it to one of his friends who crushed it into a little cube. That, or he dumped it in a lake somewhere in the middle of nowhere, nobody knows, but this car was never seen again. Coincidentally, that car had been given to Andreas by Blair only a few months prior. I don't know why we didn't think of Andreas right away. When the girl got on the news and said that a man had been screaming that he was going to gut someone like a fish outside of the office earlier, we kind of had a feeling that that person had something to do with the murder, but we never pointed a finger at him in particular. To be honest, this wasn't someone that any of us really knew well, so I wouldn't have known him by name before he was named by the police, so that's probably why he really didn't pop into our list of suspects. He was just another person that worked there. Andreas had been working there for quite a few months, and he's somebody that was hired by Blair. He didn't get hired through Billy. We did know that Andreas had been fired recently. That's why he was screaming outside the office. He blamed another employee, Dan, for getting fired, leading to his claims that he was going to gut him. Police also confirmed that Andreas had confessed to the murder to two people, two sex workers that he had hung out with later that night. These sex workers were informants, and they let police know that he had confessed to them. But because of the nature of their job, they wouldn't be reliable witnesses to put on the stand, and their testimony would not lead them to a conviction. So there was nothing that they could do about that. The last bombshell? Andreas was currently in jail at that very moment. He had committed a robbery and was currently serving eight months in jail. So, great. We finally have a face to put to the crime that we had all been speculating about for the last one year, one month, and one day of our lives. Andreas did it, the cops knew, there was a confession, but why wasn't he in jail for Billy? Well, according to police, they questioned him about Billy while he was in jail. And his response? Prove it. I'm running away to Mexico as soon as they get out of jail, so there's nothing you can do about it. So arrest me for the murder or mind your business. Obviously, I'm paraphrasing, but that was the gist of it. And that was it. A few years trudged by with no mention at all. No updates, no checking in, nothing. Eventually, one more thing would come to pass with this trial. Eventually, after years of absolute silence from the police, they rolled up to my friend's house. You know, the one that Billy saw the night he died, the lawyer. The one that threw his phone at Blair. Well, police were there to inform him, or question him really, about a phone call that was made. 
So here's the story that we never knew until years later. After Billy died, this friend would always tell us that he felt Billy die. He would tell us that he was scared awake around 2.30 in the morning. He felt like something wasn't right, got up and searched the house, convinced that there was somebody in it. There wasn't. He went back to sleep. The next day, he comes to find out that the night before, Billy was killed, and he connects the dots, and he was scared awake by Billy dying miles and miles away. Well, years later, we come to find out that those were not all of the dots. Turns out, Billy had made a phone call somewhere in between the time that the masked man entered the office and when he died. He called this friend. Apparently, he left a message, and the police wanted to know what it was. But it turns out, the phone was a throwaway phone. The same phone that was thrown at Blair's head at the office. The phone shattered when it was thrown. So nobody ever knew that there was a call, a message, nothing, until the police let us know. Which, in my opinion, is so dirty. Like, how do you not tell us that earlier? Maybe we could have retrieved the message or done anything. But no, years later we get informed. Whenever somebody was working at McCabs, there was usually two people working. One person that was working at the office dispatching, and one person, or I mean at least one person, driving the cabs. The night that this all happened, our friend Mike was the one that was driving the cabs. They did shifts from 6pm to 6am and 6am to 6pm. So Mike came into the office at 6am to hand the keys in for the night for the cab. He went into the office and found Billy lying on the floor. Mike said that when he saw Billy laying on the floor, he freaked out and started picking stuff up. Things from the desk were thrown all over the office, and Mike's initial response to finding Billy was to pick shit up off the ground and try to fix it. And this is all after calling 911. Everybody had something to say about that because, like, you're contaminating the scene, you're leaving fingerprints of your own, and that's gonna take away the killers and blah blah blah. But at the end of the day, do you know what you're gonna do if you walk in and find one of your best friends since third grade laying dead on the floor? No, you don't. Mike said he knew Billy was dead right away and not just, like, passed out or something. He was haunted by that forever. I knew Mike since I was a kid, and he was never the same after Billy died. Mike spiraled down into drugs after Billy's death. Everyone had their own way of coping, and that seemed to be his. He took Billy's death really hard. Mike passed away on December 28th, 2016, not even a full month after Jimmy. The way I looked at it, Andreas's murder count had just hit three. These kids that I had grown up with and known my entire life were all being wiped out by this one machete-wielding psychopath, and nothing would ever be the same. What I really want everybody to take away from this story is that Billy was an amazing person. I know a lot of the time when people die, everybody around them says how great they were and how they lit up a room and blah blah blah, but I know that isn't the case here because everybody talked about what a great person Billy was while he was still here. People got on the news and said stupid things after he was killed and made it seem like Billy was killed in a drug deal gone wrong in this back alley, black market, front for a cab company office. And that is not what happened. What happened was Billy was coerced into doing something for a little extra money, and he was scared out of it within a week or two, and something horrifically tragic came from it. Either one of two things happened here. Either option A, a big-time drug dealer, Blair, set Billy up to be his patsy by dangling a fake job opportunity in front of his face and then yanking it away, leaving him with only one other option to make the extra money that he had been promised for six months now. Complete these deals that he was unable to do himself while he was facing multiple high-level drug crimes. When a small deal that Blair had facilitated went sideways and some little bitch got pulled over at a traffic stop, he folded in half and immediately flipped on the patsy after only a week or two of him taking on this fake job. Facing further threat of persecution from the possibility of this patsy flipping because he had just been put in harm's way by being ratted out, the big-time drug dealer 
calls upon a former employee at his company, one who feels he had been wronged by this company, a known gang member who Blair had recently bestowed upon a completely free vehicle and a job to take care of the patsy for him. Or option B, the fact that a week or two of small level dealing was going on has absolutely nothing to do with this case at all. The employee of a cab company who has a history in gangs and violence gets fired from a cab company and perceives that it was because of one employee in particular. So what does he do? He shows up at the cab company on a night that that employee is scheduled to be working. Finding Billy instead of Dan, he decides he's going to walk out of the situation with something and tells Billy to hand over whatever was in his pockets. Billy, having money that has to be used to pay his car that's several months behind, is unwilling to hand it over. Maybe he even recognizes Andreas and says his name. Maybe it's just over the money. Who knows? But since Billy is in the wrong place at the wrong time, he ends up killed. In either scenario here, Billy is not some lowlife. He's not some drug dealer. He is not a dirtbag. And he did not deserve to die. He wasn't what the dirty news painted him as. He wasn't someone whose death should be disregarded and ignored for eight years after his death because police believe they have better things to do than pursue his killer. Honestly, I would love to give you guys some closure here. I would love to tell you about the time we spent in a courtroom staring Andreas down and watching him fight for his freedom. I would love to tell you that Blair had any answers for the super suspicious shit that he did. I would kill to tell you that there was so much as one criminal charge brought about by the senseless and vicious attack on the best friend I ever had. But if I did, I would be lying. We recently passed the 8th anniversary of Billy's death. So my son was um, actually murdered during a supposed uh, robbery. I believe was drug related. Uh, I'm not really sure. Um, they never got the guy. Um, I think the police probably should have done a better job as far as evidence. So they never really, <clears throat> he really never really got any justice, <clears throat> which it doesn't matter at this point because no matter what, my son is not ever coming back. So um, I look at it this way. Whoever did this will probably um, realize what he did to Billy and to his family when he gets to the other side. Um, I'm sure he'll be made aware of the lives that he impacted by taking this beautiful person away from us. So that is the only justice I think I need at this point. Um, no matter what, even if this person stood in front of me right now, uh, there's nothing that he can do or anyone can do to bring Billy back. So he was a really funny person. He, he loved to tease people. He had a great sense of humor. He loved his friends more than anything. He was such a good friend. Um, he called all his friends his brothers. Um, one of his very good friends actually committed suicide about a year after Billy passed away. So there's another life that was impacted. But he was a really good person. Um, I can't say that enough. He was a huge animal lover. He took after me in, in that aspect. Um, loved his dogs more than anything. Loved his friends, but also loved his dogs. And he loved me. He was a, a mama's boy, and he very happily admitted that. Um, loved me to death. Um, was a good brother, an awesome uncle to his nieces, who loved him dearly. He loved kids. Um, it saddens me to think that he was, never became a father because he would have been an awesome father. Um, I have his teddy bear right here. That's Snuggles. 
he that was his teddy bear when he was a baby. Um, I have wonderful memories of him, but um, I just can't wait to see him again. I really miss him so much. This just never should have happened. Um, you know, some people, they create their own bad things in life that come to them because of their bad decisions. Um, I believe he did make a bad decision, but it was not with, it wasn't something that hurt other people. He only hurt himself. Um, he put himself in a bad situation, but he did not deserve this kind of a death. I know it wasn't a quick death. I know that. Um, and that's what haunts me every single day. I, my heart breaks and my, um, my world is completely shattered without him here. So, um, of course I'm trying to move on, but only with the knowledge and the faith that I know that I'm going to be with him again on the other side. That makes me happy. That gives me peace. Um, I did manage to open up my own veterinary clinic, which um, is becoming very successful, which really is ironic because when Billy was alive, he needed help with survival, with money, and I wasn't able to help him. And now that I'm in a position to do that, He's not here. So that haunts me too every single day. That if only he was still here, I'd be able to help him. And maybe he wouldn't have put himself in such a bad position that ultimately ended his life. So, um, there's probably a million things I could talk about. But the, the main thing is just letting people know what an honorable, good person, even as a boy, um, his teachers and neighbors told me what a, what a great son I had and what a great job I did raising him. He was such a good kid and respectful and, you know, just a, just a well-rounded person that, you know, should still be here. He would have done a lot of great things, I think. But um, thanks for listening. At my clinic, I do have, um, I started a fund. Um, it's called the Billy Donahue Fund. Um, and this fund is to help animals because he was such an animal lover. Um, any dogs or cats that need surgeries that uh, the public cannot afford, um, that's what this fund is for. It helps to um, to pay for those costs, and um, I'm very proud of that of that fund because it's in his honor, and I know he he's probably really enjoying that I did that for him. Every year, me and the friend with the phone set up and attend a memorial at the office building on November third. This year was no different. This year was like every one of the eight years before it. There's been no news. There's been no developments. Andreas still walks around a free man. Blair still operates businesses that rip people off. He's been accused of ripping off Long Islanders for hundreds of thousands of dollars, profiting off the unimaginable horror that homeowners faced after Hurricane Sandy ripped their entire houses apart. When FEMA made loans for the homeowners to get repairs done on their homes, he apparently took it and ran, proving that he's the same dude that tried to steal a murder victim's PS4 way back when. There has never been justice, and the police aren't doing anything about it. When any of us call the police to ask questions about the case, they take our phone number and information and they do not return the call. They legit can't even be bothered to say no comment. And so that's the end of the story for now. Recently, I put up a post on Reddit to detail everything that happened 
and an amazing content creator, Maverick, reached out to me personally. He did a video covering the Reddit post itself, and then he made a separate video about this case. I made a GoFundMe a while ago to try to raise the funds to get a private investigator, and he made a huge donation towards that. And his audience has since come through in a huge way as well. We are still raising the money towards that, since a PI on Long Island is guaranteed to cost a minimum of $10,000. So if you guys are able to spare anything, every little bit counts and is greatly appreciated. I appreciate you guys listening and all the support that I've received from those of you who have listened to his story and wished me well. Thank you so much for your support and anything that you can do to help, even if that includes liking and sharing this video. Follow me for future updates on this case. I'll do an update video if we're ever able to raise the funds for a private investigator. And of course, I have my weekly videos detailing the world's most infamous gangsters every week. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe, follow, comment, do all the things, and I'll see you next week. Bye.